Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and every Thursday, we release these special episodes that we're calling Classic Risk Singles. Each of these episodes features just one story from our earlier years. If you're new to Risk, you should know that the podcast can be very uncensored. This week, a story by Chris Gray that he first shared on the podcast in July of 2013. Here's Chris now with a story we call The Other. So last summer, I spent a month on Fire Island during an art residency, which is an amazing opportunity. I actually had never been to Fire Island before. It has a sort of mythology as a place, this gay space, but also sort of specifically as a place for gay sex. So I was entering into this month-long experiment, basically, with a kind of interior look at gay male culture that I had never had before. Depending on who I talked to, my time on Fire Island was either going to be the most exciting sexual adventure of my life or absolutely the most embarrassing experience ever. As soon as I found out that I was going on an art residency, of course what I do is I call my parents because I'm sort of still trying to convince them and maybe even myself that being an artist is like an actual tangible profession. So I get really excited like, oh my gosh, you know, I, I've gotten this art residency and, uh, and of course they, they get really excited too, so they tell other people. So my father told his, uh, he's got one friend who's like his gay friend. At this point, it's like every time my father mentions this friend, he tells me, you know he's gay. 
every time he says this to me, I'm like, yeah, I know, I know, I know. At this point, I know that this is your gay friend. I totally understand. Anyway, so I told him that I was going on this residency. I spoke to him like a week later, and he was like, oh, I, you know, I told my friend that you were going to Fire Island, and oh, and he said you were just going to have the best time. You know, he was. That's a great place, and that's his old stomping grounds. You know, because he's gay. <laughs> Yeah. And then we sort of awkwardly pause. And we're, I think both of us are sort of thinking, yeah. And it's not necessarily that it would be shocking to, for my father to think of me as gay. Because I have come out to my parents um, as, as being gay when I was 19. Uh, however, when I came out as gay, I was coming out to them as a gay woman. I am trans and I was assigned female and I was raised girl. So the first time that I came out to my parents as gay, it was because I was identified as a dyke. And I was coming out to them by telling them, you know, I have a girlfriend. However, the advent of my starting to take testosterone and the physical changes, like I had top surgery, as well as the fact that I have now a full beard, these are new things, new signifiers, uh, both for me and for my parents. So coming out as a gay woman to my parents, that was sort of the first one, but I've come out as many different things, as trans, as genderqueer, as poly, as kink. So each of these new layers of identity, especially with my identity of, as genderqueer, because even though I present and sound very masculine, I don't really identify as male or female. But the idea that someone would go from female to other, uh, not necessarily from female to male, is something that really throws them off. So the idea that I would be heading off to a gay destination, a place that's specifically known for gay sex, but a kind of gay sex that perhaps my parents haven't imagined as part of my lifestyle yet. I think that was the pregnant pause between my father and I. So I was trying to also sort of apply what I know about gay male culture to my impending immersion. And when I was uh, living in Baltimore, I spent many years as a bartender at gay bars. And there, you know, there are sort of lessons that I learned and things that I picked up really quickly. One of them was dick, right? Like, gay guys, dick, 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 dick. Like, everything is about dick. It's about the dick that they saw. It's about their dick. It's about where they're going to put their dick. It's about what they're doing with each other's dicks. It was all about dicks. Uh, but there was also this sort of underlying current in that that could be illustrated by this story. I was behind the bar one time, and uh, it was a lesbian night. So we would have lesbian night, you know, and all of the ladies would come out, and that would be sort of dyke night at the gay male bar. I was setting up my bar, and uh, one of our regulars, uh, a guy probably in his 30s or 40s, was sitting at the bar, and he turned to someone else, and in response to the to to this being the dyke night, he said, to, um, he said to the guy sitting next to him, Ugh, this was about vaginas. Ugh, disgusting. I came screaming out of one of those 30 years ago, and I've never been back since. What a dick. 
So I also understood that in the absence of penis, there was a kind of loathing. I really had the sense reinforced over and over and over again that vaginas or bodies that were different were really frowned upon. Um, guys would cruise me. Cruising looked a little something like this. I'd be out at a bar with my friends. We'd be hanging out or I'd be working and someone would be staring at me from across the bar and then they would approach me and then they'd hit on me or say hello and I would respond. I would say hi and they would be kind of thrown off because they would hear in my voice a sort of femininity that they weren't expecting. And I would get these kinds of responses where guys would be like, oh man, you're a girl? Oh, that sucks. I thought you were so hot before I knew you were a girl. And that was all the kind of baggage that I was carrying into this experience on Fire Island thinking about how to enter that space. I was, I was worried about navigating Fire Island as a cunted creature. So as soon as I got there, I, I was trying to figure out how does that space work? How will it work for me? And you know, there were things like a space in between two of the neighborhoods on Fire Island that's called the Meat Rack. And it's a magical sex forest. And I was thinking about how to, how to negotiate these spaces without any training. I had no compass for this. It was like, Either someone was going to tell me or show me, or I really felt like I was lost. And that it may be hopeless. I may never get laid on Fire Island. In fact, one of my friends, you know, I was talking um, to people about my sort of hang-ups before I went to Fire Island. And I had a friend who said this to me. He was like, well, good luck getting laid there, because you're all holes and no poles. You know, the problem here with thinking about maleness or femaleness is that there, it's cutting bodies down a really false binary line, which is to say that many bodies, regardless of their identity, don't quite fit into the box of 100% maleness or 100% femaleness. On top of which, you know, there are plenty of people who have bodies that function differently cisgendered guys who have uh, erectile issues or, you know, p folks that have different genitals, people that have different bodies, guys that have uh, different body weights. You know, these are all sort of realities. In Na nature loves diversity. Nature will show us that there are many more than just two of anything. And when we kind of default to this gender binary for our identity, especially when it's breaking down how we cruise for and how we have access to sex, then it's, uh, it sort of has the same problematic structure as breaking things down along a gender line in terms of uh, housing or employment opportunities or educational opportunities it becomes sort of tainted by this problem of social justice. So the first week that we're there, we attend an event that's called Whip It Out Wednesdays. Whip It Out Wednesdays is a simple premise, really. You go to the bar, you order a drink, which is massively overpriced, and if you pull down your pants and show your dick to the bartender, you get a discount on that drink. So, given the pricing structure of the beverages, it's really advantageous to show your genitals to the barkeep. 
So uh, I was standing at the bar ordering my drink next to um, three other guys. And uh, one by one, as the drinks arrived, they unzipped and showed their dick to the bartender. And when it got to me, he said, all right, your turn. And I just reached into my pants and I pulled out my packer and I set it on the bar. Now, for listeners who don't know what a packer is, uh, this is a, basically a prosthetic penis that you might wear in your pants so that you have, a, like, approximate a bulge. So I just reached into my pants and pulled, literally pulled my dick off and out and set it onto the bar. The bartender just started laughing and he's like, oh no, honey, we don't take fake dick here. If you want a discount, you better show us your dick. And so I just, I just felt like, well, I got to give this guy what he's asking for. And so I unzipped my pants and I pulled them down, revealing my, my genitals, my vagina, basically. And he was like, wow, um, oh, oh, okay, that's definitely a first. And uh, to his credit, he did give me a discount on my drink. And as a bonus for showing two sets of genitals, I didn't have to pull down my pants any other time that night. So that was very gracious of him. The first time that I showed up at an underwear party on Fire Island, I understood immediately that showing up in my underwear uh, connotated consent. So by being there scantily clad, you're basically giving everyone else in that crowd the go-ahead to touch you, to grope you, to reach their hands into your pants. Uh, they will rub their swollen genitals on any exposed part of your body. And this could be really uh, terrifying. But I didn't find it to be that way. I actually was really excited by the experience of having my body be desired. And I felt like it was really intoxicating in a way. So the first Friday, I showed up at this underwear party and I'm in my underwear and people are grabbing me and jamming their hands down my pants. And I was also really confronted by the fact that while I'm being cruised by guys and cruising that I also have to negotiate my body and the difference in my body that may not be otherwise apparent. So I was doing just that with this individual, a very handsome guy, and he was hitting on me and things were going swimmingly. I was very attracted to him. He was wearing these tiny little red boxer briefs that were tucked and pulled in the front. He asked, like, what are you into? Are you top? Are you bottom? You know, do you suck? Do you fuck? It was all about negotiating, and it wasn't even something that was thinly veiled. I told him I was trans and that I don't have a penis, like, in the way that he has. And his bulge got bigger. And he said, that's awesome. And that was pretty much the best response I had ever gotten in person from someone who was gay male identified. It's sort of like the difference between being turned on in spite of and being turned on because of. And he followed that by saying, you know, I've had experiences with trans guys, I'm really into it, and I like boys like you. Boner! <laughs> right? Like, what could be better than hearing that? Like, 
I like boys like you. I was like, I would like to suck your cock. So we made our way into the back room. The back room is kind of this place, if you've never been to a back room in a gay bar where sex is happening, it's a bunch of bodies and they're writhing and they're sucking and they're fucking and it's all happening all around you. Like the guy that is sucking someone else's dick is basically rubbing up against your leg because you're standing so close to one another. And so I went into the back room with the boy in the red shorts and he gingerly guided me to my knees. But before I could even think about how dirty the floor was, I started to feel knocking on my head from the side, from the back. And I sort of was like looking around like, what's going on here? And I quickly realized that in a room full of people sucking and fucking and writhing, that if you get on your knees, everybody around you will try to put their dick in your mouth. And this could sound super rapey, but that wasn't my experience there. In fact, I felt like being in the middle of a room full of all of that desire and a lot of it focused on me to be the object of desire was really intoxicating. I was surprised many times over during my month on Fire Island, and a lot of the surprise came from my own thoughts and ideas about gay male culture. Like, I had lots of assumptions about gay men that just ended up not being true, or ended up being a little bit antiquated. It would be like thinking about any other culture in a flat way. Which is to say that there are probably lots of gay men who will, till the day they die, talk shit about vaginas or be really disgusted by bodies that are different than theirs. And I had many positive sexual experiences in my month on Fire Island. And so I was surprised many times, just like the boy in the red shorts, um, there were a lot of other people that had experience with trans guys that were positive experiences. And I also had to confront my assumptions about what my desires were. Because growing up as a diker, as a lesbian, I, I also had this kind of body loathing about penises. And there was also this sort of reciprocal hatred for male bodies within gay female culture. When I was in that culture and I was getting turned on and I was having sex with gay men, I had to confront my own assumptions about what my desires were. And that was like kind of critically refiguring my sexuality, which is so exciting to find yourself in your 30s having grown to think of yourself as someone who is radical and queer and sexual and still being able to learn and grow and change your sexuality and evolve. So right along with my identity evolving as someone who is genderqueer, so too is my sexuality evolving. That is all for this week's Classic Risk Singles episode. Now, don't miss out on our regular full-length episodes. There's a brand new one every Tuesday. And everything you might want to know about us is at risk-show.com.